As business owners, entrepreneurs, family men, it's difficult for us to find the time to put together projects like these. Even though it's something we really want to do, unfortunately, taking care of the things we have to take care of comes first. However, because of viewer support from people like you, we're able to continue doing this. Please consider joining our Patreon and supporting the Burn and Return podcast. covering news from the agricultural and turf grass industries. Uh, when you hear the DJ scratch, that means it is time for an episode of Burn and Return. For those of you that are tuning in for the first time, welcome to our show. This is where we talk about news that influences the industry that we all live and work in, and that is the green industry. And we're going to talk about everything that goes from uh, maybe golf, maybe agriculture, maybe socioeconomic policies in developing nations, uh, because it all tends to roll downhill if it's green industry related into what we see here in the United States, more importantly, within our respective industries. Um, my name is Matt, the Grass Factor Martin. I spent a career in the lawn care uh, sector and I, what I call volume lawn care being a uh, um, a high volume type of lawn care applicator. Think like uh, like True Green and, and that sorts. Is, it was uh, kind of the thing I did. Alongside me have have uh, Mr. Ray Ito, who's uh, of the lawn care industry, but more the polar opposite of the things I did, which is very, very, very uh, high end style lawn care. And uh, and then you have the sports turf king, Mr. Ryan Dubay himself. Gentlemen, how the hell are y'all tonight? Well, you know what? Um, it's been a long night already. It's it's getting late early, but I still think that there's time to uh, crank up the amount of knowledge, you know, that's going to be spewed here tonight, the amount of anxiety that will be uh, induced. And, Matt, I just hope that I can watch you do all those things here in the next, oh, I don't know, 90 minutes or so. Ray, what do you think? You think we can help him out? No, well, you know what? You're, you're going to give me anxiety, it, see, it seems like. I mean, next time, warn me. <laughs> warn me, please. God. <laughs> It had, it had to be, I needed that visceral reaction. And if you don't know what we're talking about is, uh, we do record this show live every week, uh, just about, and we do it on Sunday nights, uh, right around eight, 9 PM. And you get to watch along and hear us chitter chatter before the show, talk about the articles we're going to put on everything like that. And then after the show, we stick around for a little bit and we pick out the name of the show, which is all submitted by our listeners and loyal supporters, our patrons, which uh, if you're not a member, you can hop over to www.patreon.com forward slash burn return. Click on that. Pretty much all those prices are less than uh, uh, two or three gallons of gas right now. You know, so generally Real. speaking, pretty damn good yeah. deal. Pretty good deal. You know, so uh, lots of cool stuff coming from the Patreon, uh, including our meetup in October, which will be our second annual meetup in October, uh, probably in Louisville, uh, right around the time of the Equipment Expo, what formerly was known as GIE. So definitely get on there, check it out, get the details, and listen to even more of our, uh, again, knowledge-filled, anxiety-inducing content 
than you already are right now. So with that, why don't we jump into the headlines here, Jim? Nothing to fear here. This is just the uh boy you know we have really beat the dead horse so to speak on uh sri lanka but it's worth noting that sri lanka has filed bankruptcy and has uh faced total economic collapse uh for those of you that did not see uh you know here we're in this, in this first article here um it says sri lanka crisis uh, flashes warning for other indebted economies and i, I pulled this one from the wall street journal because it kind of it gives a little bit better overview of not just what's going on um, in uh, 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 Sri Lanka, but as a word of warning to everyone else, right? Uh, because what Sri Lanka did is so unprecedented by this uh, forced uh, uh, organic practice. And, and of course, there was a lot of um, uh, bad business deals that occurred with China and all that. And, uh, and then, of course, inflation sets in and you know demand's still the same because you still have a thriving population. And everybody freaked out. They went totally bankrupt. You can't buy fuel there. There's, there's absolutely nothing you do. They, they either having to um, uh, take out loans in order to purchase fertilizer to get more food planted. They're already facing unprecedented food shortages and they have no money to buy food. And uh, they have no money for energy. And so what did everybody do? Well, they just walked right into the president's house and uh, and the president <laughs> left. And uh, and they, they as you can see, there's soldiers taking pictures in there. There's people sleeping on the bed. Um, it was just total, absolute pandemonium and breakdown. And uh, and rightfully so. You know, when you when you starve a population, they're going to start doing crazy shit. And this is exactly what ends up happening here. So, you know, uh, the, the big point for here is that this is one of those instances in history that we'll be able to look at for years to come, and it would only take an idiot to repeat this mistake, okay? There are other countries that are teetering on the verge of this, and you see it in their economic policies that are being put forward, whether that be climate-related or whatever the case may be, feel-good policies or, or you know, insert uh, 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 political division uh, d- divisive phrase Envi- of the day in there environmental um, virtue signaling that environmental virtue signaling and for what are you going to virtue signal if it means that your own military is going to say nope that's it enough because here's the thing that is that normally Bottom line, bottom dollar is at the end of the day, the soldiers are normally the part of the populace and even the most repressive governments that normally gets well fed no matter what the peasants and the peons can go eat shit. But at the end of the day, the soldiers and the military are always well supplied, always well fed. So here's the warning, okay? When your environmental policies mean that not even your military can eat or have fuel to operate, this is what can happen. You can get kicked out of your presidential palace and soldiers will be lying down on your bed taking selfies. How's about that? How's them apples? Yeah, uh, and... 
and and again, you know, I want to I want to highlight here that you said, well, certainly no one else is considering this. Yes, they they are. Um, there are other countries that, that are that are out there considering this, and uh, and even local municipalities that are considering this. It's it. This is not the last time we will see this, unfortunately. And so, keep an eye out that as you scan your headlines and you come across an article about oh fertilizer bans. Um, uh, or, or even in certain instances, glyphosate bans, which is kind of what precluded the, uh, um, the, the fertilizer the ban, which started, it started yeah. with glyphosate and then the, the push to organic. Right. Um, so pay attention to these things because we can see repeat, you know, we covered an article about, uh, about Mexico wanting to undergo a glyphosate ban and, you know, kind of spelling out what that means for, for Mexican agriculture there, which is some of the most prime agricultural real estate in the apps, the whole fucking globe, you know? So again, keep an eye on it. This is uh, something to pay attention to now here at home. Let's talk about something that sounds just real awesome and a little bit uh, what weird. I don't know. There's some things in it that I kind of want to poke some holes on uh, pulls holes in after 12 years of failed attempts. Pennsylvania state lawmakers have passed regulations that will reduce fertilizer use on home loans, golf courses, oh. parks, athletic fields and other developed land. Both arms of the state legislator handily approved the bipartisan measure referred to as the lawn fertilizer bill on July 6. It now goes on to Governor Tom Wolfer's expected signature. The new controls, similar to regulations that were passed in Maryland and Virginia in 2011, are designed to reduce nutrient pollution that flows into local waterways and moves downstream to the uh, uh, Chesapeake Bay. Uh, an overload of nutrients, uh, nitrogen and phosphorus cloud, the water causes harmful algae blooms and trigger dead zones in the bay. According to the Department of Agriculture, about 14% of, of Pennsylvania's nitrogen load of the bay comes from developed land. Uh, the EPA and a coalition of some 225 environmental and conservation groups pushed for the bill. Ezra Thrush of the Penn Future Environmental Group said that this, legisla this legislation is a big deal for ongoing efforts to cut water pollution in Pennsylvania because excess lawn fertilizer routinely gets washed away by rain and other precipitation is swept into local rivers and streams. Uh, Pennsylvania's most recent blueprint for meeting nutrient reduction goals part of the Bay uh, Cleanup Agreement included passage of the fertilizer bill. State legislators added that a stipulation that if the EPA does not give state credit for nutrient reductions as a result of the new regulations, they would be withdrawn at the end of 2026. Uh, the regulations will ban phosphorus, except for lawn repair pur uh, purposes, and limit the amount of nitrogen that can be sold in bags. It also requires labels to guide users against over-fertilizing turf. Exemptions are made for farmers. Made for farmers. The measure also mm. requires the State uh, Department of Agriculture to create an education program to inform homeowners and farmers about correct way to apply fertilizer and amount saved for the environments. Those who apply fertilizers to public parks, golf courses, athletic fields, and other turf areas must follow the new standard that guard against fertilizer being applied to close waterways or at too high rate. The soil must be tested so that correct amounts are, are applied. It goes on and on and on, fines, all that fun stuff. And so there's one, two particular things here. First, that it said, um, that uh, the uh, uh, that type of labeling is not required for farm, which is weird because it's a simple statement to put on the li uh, on the label. It says "Do not apply too close to water and do not over apply." Right? I mean, that's that's a simple thing, but that's not required there. And the other thing is, is that from developed lands, fertilizer runoff accounts for fourteen percent of what comes from Pennsylvania. Where does the other fucking eighty six percent come from? Where does the other eighty six percent come from? I understand that there is a need to tackle the 14%, 100%. We can all do better. This is not e extreme to me to, to limit the amount of phosphorus that's being applied. It's not extreme to me that 
you know what what uh, you know the same kind of re- regulations you see in Maryland that are, are, are right there in Pennsylvania too. You know, I'm not freaking out. Do I like it? No, probably not. But at the same time, I'm not freaking out. It is what it is. You know, we all got to play by the same rules. We should all be uh, strive to be more environmentally responsible. Great. If the government has to pass that down for us in order to act on it, okay, here we are. But this is what it is. Now, but again, this is one of those things is that we have something that's dumping 86%, but we're focused on the 14%. And that does not make sense to me in this type of scenario. Why? Why, if 86% of something is contributing to this, why is the 14% undergoing the new laws and regulations? Low-hanging fruit. And it's politics. Money. Politics. No respect. Politics. Money. Yeah, just all politics because, okay, you know why I'm always banging on this practice of loading soil in the fall, you know why I'm always banging on that? It's because I know what happens to all of that winter and spring runoff. That is the runoff that then pollutes and contaminates waterways and oceans. Okay, that is what that is what happens because there is no crop to take up the nutrient, right? That there's no crop to take it up and, and get it out of the of the system because you load it up in the fall and then you have no crop growing on that field over the winter and then spring snow melt and all that stuff is just running into the water. Uh whose fault is that? Hmm? Whose fault? I think that's what, you know, it's it's a means to have recourse, right? And it's a means for them to basically say, okay, you can't follow best practices in your own, so we're going to legislate them in. And mm-hmm. I think uh, I, I think it's been not too terribly onerous and been fairly effective in other parts of the Chesapeake Bay, namely Maryland. Um, Virginia's, was, Virginia's was a little bit further behind, but... Um, you know, I think it's working to the extent possible. I think that, uh, you know, where everything sits right relative to where the Bay is, I think Pennsylvania might, I don't know this for certain. I'd love to do the research though, probably has the majority or a significant portion of the, uh, agricultural land within the watershed of the Bay. Yeah. Right. So just on an acreage basis, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to have to do the heavy lifting on their part. And, you know, just like you're, you know, we've had similar issues here in Ohio. Uh, and this happened here 10 years ago, right, with Lake Erie. And same thing, guys. Who do you think the first people they looked at? Hey, what are you, what are you turf guys doing over here? And it's like, whoa, whoa, mm-hmm. whoa, wait. <clears throat> you know, we, yes, we're willing to, you know, play ball How about Toledo, Ohio? Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. And, and, and so, yeah. But yeah. How about the cities? How about the combined sewers? Right. That when, you know, the storm sewer runs over, it spills into the sanitary and the sanitary just ejects out into these waterways. Or all you know, the farmland that? That, that have all the feeder waterways running into it, you know, that. Well, run, and that's, you know, well, I and, say and, Toledo because I don't know geography, but it, it runs right. up that way. Right. Yeah. It runs. It runs north. Yeah. The river, the river, the main river is the Maumee River there and it runs north through there. And so. 
you know, a lot of poor practices, right, with what Ray was talking about with, you know, late fertilizer applications, real super early applications prior to planting, and probably one of the most devastating things from an uh, ecological standpoint was uh, folks that would apply manure onto frozen fields or right before a big snow event, yes. right before winter, right? Yes. And all that stuff. What's that What's that manure high in, Ray? Fuck. Phosphorus. Yeah, it, yeah. I thought it was organic. And you see, to me, I make no difference. It's lab-grown phosphorus between inorganic phosphorus and phosphorus bound to animal waste. Okay, I make no differentiation, and furthermore, I make zero differentiation between phosphorus originating from biomass, including leaves, because you know what really <sighs> chaps my ass right now. Mm-hmm. The fact that there are so many street trees dropping leaves into street and it's invariable that those leaves are also a source of phosphorus. Because you see Absol- <clears throat> yeah. phosphorus is a relatively immobile nu- nutrient. In other words, it's hard for phosphorus to dissolve in water and move phosphorus always has to be attached to either organic matter or soil right and so when you get runoff events that move that material from where it originally was into the waterway that's when you get trouble so i i think go go ahead no, you go. You go. Oh, I was just going to say, um, I, I've, I've got a friend, uh, a, a turf researcher that I think will have some work that will get started here oh, in the next year or so, waiting on a grant to come through, but examining that specific question, right, of are some of the practices that we have relative to, uh, like, you know, mulching our grass and our leaves in the fall, is that the best thing? And as far as leaf removal that, you know, cities, municipalities, and things like that do, right, a huge infrastructure for um, stormwater to be removed from, you know, residential areas and things like that, are we handling all this stuff the best possible way to prevent or at least reduce the amount of uh, pee runoff that we could possibly have? So it's an interesting question, and uh, hey, back to the original thing. You know, Pennsylvania passing law doesn't bother me at all. I think I think it's good. I think that uh, the people that have their shit together are going to be like, hey, yeah, we've been doing this the whole time, or and it just formalizes this, and hopefully it causes uh, the others who maybe weren't in that camp to become educated and act a little bit more appropriately. Is uh, is uh, Penn State going to uh, throttle back their fertilizer recommendations on their soil testing? Because, good Lord, they are aggressive. Uh, that 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 I don't know because uh, the the folks that are in charge of that are are definitely uh, generous. We'll just say that. yes. Be aggressive. Oh, Be aggressive. Uh, the uh, a disturbing and I man I read this and I just uh, disturbing weed killer ingredient tied to cancer found in eighty percent of U.S. urine samples. CDC study finds glyphosate, controversial ingredient found in weed killers, including popular Roundup brand brand, uh, present in samples. 
Uh, this is a recycled article that shows up, you know, once a year at minimum uh, to make sure people are absolutely freaked out by the word chemical and glyphosate and or glyphosate. And uh, so, again, they're going back to a study that was conducted in 2013 and 2014 that showed uh, that food samples taken uh, and uh, and then corresponding urinalysis performed that there were detectable levels of glyphosate in the urine. Uh, so the EPA has out there that there is a certain amount of, uh, of uh, consumption that will occur uh, for crops that are treated with any herbicide, any herbicide. This isn't a glyphosate-specific thing. However, this article would lead you to believe this is a, a, a glyphosate-specific thing. There are detectable limits uh, that are placed on these, right? And uh, and so what this is not saying is that the amount that is being detected is beyond the detectable limit. It just says that it's actually there. So this is a non-news thing. It's here again. It's designed to scare the shit out of you. And uh, it means absolutely nothing. And of course, they parlay this into uh, the IARC um, uh, uh, absolute debacle. It goes into the meta-analysis performed by Shepard. Uh, which, uh, it, again, if you want to read into that, boy, this this uh, uh, meta-analysis here gets even real, real weird in terms of how the data was aggregated. Uh, and that study is called Exposure to Glyphosate-Based Herbicides Risk for Non-Hodgkin's Lymphoma, a meta-analysis and supporting evidence. Uh, you you want to talk about uh, something that, that makes you want to run your head through a wall? Read this and how the uh, the uh, the data was aggregated there. It's, uh, it's pretty it's pretty. Astonishing and embarrassing. So, I, nothing new here. Uh, just in, in case, in case you were comfortable with the word glyphosate, don't be because uh, they're they're out to kill you. Yeah, they they're out to get us. And you know what? I gotta I gotta wonder is, you know, if this trace part per billion or part per million amount of glyphosate is present in urine. And it's detectable as whole glyphosate. Do you know what that means for human health, Matt? Do you know what that What's actually that? means? It means that as soon as we ingest glyphosate, it passes right through us. And it passes right through us without, for example, activating liver enzymes or burdening the kidneys in other words we get it out of us we pee it out as fast as we can take it in and we do so without inducing any kind of damage that's what i take out of this is that because my guess is is that uh the other night i probably ingested a little bit of glyphosate i probably did i i think what we can agree on here ladies and gentlemen is that glyphosate is far better than R. Kelly. And the reason is because you can take glyphosate or have glyphosate and just pee it out and there's nothing bad that happens. R. Kelly exactly. peed on some people and terrible, unforgivable, and actually yes. illegal shit happened. So mm -hmm. glyphosate, greater than R. Kelly. That's, a good, that's, that's good news, for, I think, for everybody in the world. Uh, the next one here is sustainable farming practices and less chemical fertilizer can lead to higher crop yields. Study finds higher crop yields than what oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. 
Uh, in farming, high crop yields are often associated with the use of human-made fertilizers. But what if these abundant results could be achieved by using farming practices that were more environmentally friendly? An extensive new study of 30 farms in Africa and Europe have shown that a combination of small amounts of fertilizer with natural farming methods like mixing compost or manure with the soil, cultivating a wider variety of crops, and cultivating plants like clover or beans to amplify soil fertility can result in high crop yields while maintaining the harmony of agricultural ecosystems, a press release from Rossman Research said. The study found that a significant amount of chemical fertilizer could be replaced by adopting these more natural techniques, which would have multiple benefits. Reducing reliance on chemical fertilizers would help to buffer farmers and consumers against economic shocks, such as the current spike in fertilizer costs and consequent increase in food prices. Uh, the study long-term evidence for ecological intensification as a pathway to sustainable ag- agriculture, which does not have a DOI number yet, by the way. It was recently published. Um, I do not know anything about nature sustainability as a journal. Uh, I will definitely do some digging into this, but it does not have a DOI. So. Um, I don't know if this is peer-reviewed or not. Uh, the farm experiments, uh, the researchers examined for the study have been going on for more than nine years and 25,000 harvests and included 30 individual experiments on crops of oat, wheat, barley, maize, potatoes, sugar beet. Uh, the research team analyzed how a variety of natural methods use interactive with various levels of plowing and nitrogen-rich fertilizers. Each analysis considered at least one of the trio of natural farming practices. And if we come down here to the end, it says future assessments of ecological intensification should include a water analysis of all social, economic, and environmental factors, such as nutritional value or farm profit. There are undoubtedly benefits beyond just yields, such as reducing costs, reducing pollution, and providing other valuable farm uh, products. Uh, conversely, socioeconomic factors can also limit the adoption of such uh, practices by farmers. These factors can include a lack of markets for these diverse products and limited access to necessary resources, including land, seed, and manure. Upscaling these practices will require policymakers in society to create more conducive socioeconomic context. So, here and and this is the part where you know you really got to dig into the weeds on this, and that's why I can't wait for this to uh, 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 make it a little further into the into the world where I can access this because I'm not going to pay two hundred ninety nine dollars to to read this right now, um, and I'm not going to subscribe to this journal either uh, until I, I do a little more research on it. But here's the thing: is that oh, you take a little bit of fertilizer and you combine it with compost, which is what fertilizer? Yes. Uh, uh, or manure, which is what fertilizer. Yes, so or you fertilizer. take fertilizer, add it to fertilizer, and then you can you can produce the same level of yields. Now, the part in here that they do talk about is uh, 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 crop rotations, right, and, and rotating to beans and all that fun stuff, legumes that are going to increase uh, you know nitrogen retention in the soil and that fun stuff. And that's and that's great, and I think that's all amazing, and and I think that's things that we should all consider when it comes to food production. However, the part of this that is you know the big uh, 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 mystery meat uh, flavor of the week is number one uh, is your farm still going to be profitable if you're having to, to purchase that input to put it in there? Are you still going to need the exact same amount of land mass to be able to do this? Uh, the types of products that you're going to be growing in to uh, maintain this uh, um, uh, a, a diverse um, uh, ecosystem that occurs? Uh, are you going to have a market for it? Uh, and is having to rotate away to those types of things, uh, is that going to limit your output of the products that are in high demand? And so now you're sh- shaping the, what's actually available to purchase. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, when it comes to uh, having access to compost and manure on a broader scale, uh, we know that uh, what we see going on in the EU right now is that they're limiting uh, the amount of livestock raising that ultimately produces the manure that would be used in these renewable, sustainable uh, types of farming systems to even be produced. 
So we're limiting one, and now we're saying we need to incorporate more of it into the other, and it doesn't make any sense. So I, this is this is wonderful, and this is a step in a, in a, in a beautiful direction, and I, and I love to see this done, but it has not been vetted appropriately yet, and there's a lot to unpack here. And again, I, I relate it to uh, 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 biochar because, again, everybody makes these claims about biochar, 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 biochar. If you just use it, everything is good. But when you nail down to the nuts and bolts, a lot of times it's not doing absolutely anything for you. There's specific instances where it can do something for you. But until you actually figure those out and tailor that type of application to your specific soil conditions, then it's not going to do a fucking thing for you. Same here. Until we get into the nitty gritty and have a little bit of transparency of what they're actually unpacking here, then it's all just a bunch of fucking noise. But what happens is that from a readership perspective, people are going to read this and feel awesome about it because, see, I told you, if you just use a little bit of compost, if you just use a little bit of manure, we would save the fucking planet. Okay. Am I, am I being crazy here? No, you're not being crazy, and I'm going to, about to get even crazier. Do you know what the knock is against all of these Look at the alternative agricultural systems. Do you know what the knock is? Hmm. Gotcha. Okay. What they're not revealing or being totally transparent about is how much more energy, labor, and machinery is required to implement these less than actually efficient practices. Okay? They're not talking about that because what I've seen of these so-called uh, alternative agricultural systems is, do you know what they replace that little bit of fertilizer or pesticide with? Do you know what they replace it with? Huh. A, crap, a crap ton of labor and mechanized equipment. And mechanized equipment, as far as I know, does not run on virtue. These foo-foo environmentalists blowing smoke up our ass. Don't, don't blow smoke to, up Ray's ass. Don't get to the part about how all of these wonderful mechanized alternatives need fuel. I mean, tractors and cultivators do not run on people's good intentions. I mean, last time I checked, you need a lot of diesel, okay? You need a lot of diesel. And don't get me started on alternatives to weed control because all the alternatives to weed control that I've seen to date all need some kind of fuel, be it propane, diesel, gasoline, or whatever. So what do they say? Ain't no such thing as a free lunch right here. <laughs> Demay uh, actually shared this article with me, and I'm going to spend quite a bit of time dissecting this. And, and I mean, this is going to take me at, at, at least a couple of weeks to, to get through because there is a, uh, a pretty significant amount of uh, uh data sets here that have been aggregated that that are going to require vetting and and and, and just a simple understanding of what exactly is going on uh, but what i do like is that this table here where they have detail on each ei practice and input investigated um you know and there's i like i like all these little caveats they throw in here like uh no fertilizer input 
Uh, reducing nitrogen fertiliz- fertilization will affect yields, and this effect will depend on the initial amount of nitrogen applied and by how much it is reduced. It will also depend on the levels of CD, OM, and TI in which this reduction is implemented. So basically, they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, So we know that if we cut nitrogen, it's going to cause a problem. But if we replace all that nitrogen from an organic matter source, then uh, yields aren't going to be effective kind of sort of thing, right? Well, of course, because you're still getting the same amount of fucking fertilizer down, whether it comes from a, a, a synthetic source or an organic source. So, you know, again, I can't wait to go through this. Yeah, Demain, yeah this give, is, me, this give me give me some good feedback here that I can feel good <laughs> about and like preach positivity and like, all you fuckers were right, we're wrong. Uh, you know, I, I think the um, the idea behind this, right, is at a macro level to try and understand how all these different inputs, right? And I don't just mean, you know, pesticides, fertilizers. I mean uh, labor, equipment, all the different things that we have to do, right, and levers that we need to pull to, you know, create a lawn or to grow a crop or whatever the case might be. And... It's starting to try to unpack that, but you know, like you said, there's there are caveats in there that maybe in the real world don't make a ton of sense, and so I'll be interested to see you know what your what your meta analysis of this is, uh, and, and I'll, I'll probably dive in a little bit myself as I have time. But um, I think the biggest thing is just like what you said there that you know there's so many specifics right that go into hey, this, uh, this works here, but it doesn't work there, right? Uh, and, and we've got so many cases of that over the course of time, right? So, uh, you know, not to get, you know, to go too far back, but, uh, you know, Albrecht and uh, BCSR, right? That, hey, because this mm-hmm. soil in Missouri is so gosh darn fertile and great because of, you know, this specific uh, matrix of uh, soil Ratios nutrient values. And- yeah, yeah, this ratio. And, this and ratio. so <laughs> I'm just saying, I it it there is a history, and that's just one small example of trying to apply again at a macro level what might be considered to be uh, ideal, and trying to carry that out over a large scale or uh, a continent wide scale, and shit not going the way that it maybe said that it would. So uh, I I think. Probably the better way to do this, and and I don't know if it's if it should be meta or not, but the better way to do this is probably to look at individual practices, right? Hey, what could we replace just the nitrogen piece with, and where does that mm-hmm. take us, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. We, we've done a lot of that with tillage. Like, we've done a lot of this work already as a baseline to get to a point where it's, okay, hey, like, we at least have some baseline data, but how do we make it all work together? So that's my question is how do we make it all work together? And I don't know that this paper is going to answer it. Uh, so we'll see. We'll yeah. see what happens. Yeah. I think that's a perfect go go ahead, Ray. Yeah. And here's something that is not being really addressed is that what happens when a crop is harvested, right? What happens? At the very basis, simplest, you know, level, I call crops harvested nutrient removal. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I call that nutrient. Yeah. I call that nutrient removal, and the reason why how, I'm familiar. It's how we sustain. Familiar, yeah. The reason why I'm familiar with the concept of nutrient removal, of course, is 
that parlays into our turf grass management practices, for example, because I was looking at this morning at a rather sad lawn and somebody was asking me, how come this lawn just looks so unhappy and anemic? And I drill down and I ask, for example, okay, how is this lawn being mowed? Clippings are collected and nutrient removal. Okay, so grass clippings are removed, crops are harvested and go to market to end up in our supermarkets, and in all cases, nutrients are removed from that piece of land, and the only way to keep that sustainable ongoing is whatever nutrients are removed have to be replaced. Hey, hey Matt, when you do that review... Can you just let me know how the uh, the double dark and the freedom treatments did? Yeah, I, yeah, I was gonna say that uh, one one pound of soil mastery replaces one pound of nitrogen uh, in terms of uh, crop <laughs> crop removal uh, because magic. Only if you buy uh, through the affiliate link, though. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of affiliate links, let's check out this week's Joe knows turf because last hey, week was doozy. Ooh. My God. <laughs> It's in the description below. Hi, I'm Jow. Jow. I'm going to give you a bunch of accurate turf facts today. This had better not short out my camera. Jow. Jow. <laughs> Demay, talk to us. What are we talking about this week? Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know what this is, uh, it's a it's one of our relatively new segments where we talk about uh, something that's either been sent to us or we've encountered in our daily travels through the YouTube space, and uh, we look at it from our point of view of the uh, many decades and uh, of years of experience that we have. And again, it's not to uh, effectively shit on anybody necessarily, but when somebody says something, we want to make sure that it's correct, know. and we offer offer some corrective and uh uh polite criticism uh constructive criticism that's what i want to say i, I missed uh, that part matt matt it just so happens that matt took his uh his uh constructive criticism management class uh, on paris island you know so uh <laughs> that's 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 how he that's how he rolls in. hey everybody fell. does it different everybody does it different all right so listen uh tonight we have uh, Kyle, the lawn mentor, is going to talk to us a little bit about grubs. So okay. let's go ahead and, and let's see what's going on here. So now up see. to probably about six inches deep. So you should only have to dig a little bit and you may find a little white grub. So let's see if we can find one. What you're looking for is something that looks like a white, sometimes curled up. Sometimes they're moving, sometimes they're not. Come on, I ain't going to find one now, huh? Because I'm on camera. I know that I found some in this other section over here. So let's go see if they're still over there. We'll work from that because, of course, while you're on yeah. camera, you know, they won't cooperate. I guess they're a little That's camera shy. True. So many times when you do that kind of a test, if you pull and you dig, you'll find grubs. I found four grubs over there the other day. I know that I have grubs in there. I know that they're hungry. I know that they're eating. My preventative application obviously wasn't 100% effective, and that's okay because you just don't always get perfect coverage. So in order to kill these grubs, Pause. we have to buy... Stop. Okay. Stop. All right. 
So there's a few things that I would like to shine the light on here in Kyle's statements. And again, constructively help out Kyle a little bit. So uh, number one is uh, finding four grubs in a lawn in uh, JPEG. When did this movie or this uh, video come out here? June 10th. June 10th. Would mm-hmm. not in any way, shape, or form worry or concern me, right? Uh, you know, a critical number that we typically look at would be somewhere around nine or 10 grubs per square foot to where we start to see what we call uh, visual or commercially uh, destructive damage, right? So, wait, nine to 10 not even per halfway thousand there. square feet? Per, per, per square foot, nine to 10 per square per foot. Square just foot. just One for square emphasis. Foot. 12, 12 inches by 12 inches. Nine to mm. ten per square foot, and the other thing to make mention of, and I believe Kyle does this at some point in this video, he talks about the fact, uh, and maybe it's not this one, I can't remember, but um, you know, your preventative grub control, uh, depending on what you use, is only going to be, you know, somewhere between could be as low as sixty percent upwards of ninety plus percent effective. So to say that, hey, I made a preventative application, I'm still seeing grubs. It's not a clean slate. It's never going to be. It wasn't designed to be, right? It's, to, it's designed to take those populations down below a level that is causing damage, right? That is visual and is impacting the lawn. All right. Let's see what Kyle says here. And if we could slide ahead, Jay Pink, just to touch into that next slide where we start talking about product choice and what we're going to look for here. He actually has an article available online that I'll link below that talks about what products to use, what products not to use, and when to use them. I'm at a point where I've already applied a preventative and I have some kind of breakthrough. So one of the other products that they suggested was something like this. This is by BioAdvance. I actually bought this at my local Ace Hardware. And it is a 24-hour grub killer plus trichlorophon. I believe that's how you say it is the active ingredient. And- Ray, could you please mm-hmm. describe trichlorophon, its mode of action, and what class of uh, chemistry is it in, and why is that important? Okay, trichlorophon is what's known as an organophosphate, and organophosphate acts by interfering with this enzyme present in both insects, animals, fish, and humans known as cholinesterase. And when your cholinesterase is inhibited, this is not funny because you will be the world's sickest person. And oh, by the way, the most public or most familiar cholinesterase inhibitor slash organophosphate to the public that people know of is, how's this one? Novichok, VX, or Sarin. Yeah. So, again, the way that that works is essentially cholinesterase is the enzyme that's uh, permitting the synapses, little gaps in between your nerves and your central nervous system to act. So they basically paralyze that. So when you're an insect and you ingest this stuff, it essentially renders your central nervous system completely ineffective as you lay there and die to the point that your nerves no longer allow you to breathe. So because not that, that happens in humans. It's actually, Ray, let's tell somebody else about the benefits and features of organophosphates and their longevity in the body. Okay, the fortunate thing about most organophosphates is that they 
enter and leave humans relatively quickly in most cases, except certain organophosphates are more persistent in the central nervous system and they have a property known as delayed neurotoxicity. And an example of organophosphates that cause delayed neurotoxicity include chlorpyrifos. I mean, the lawn guys in Florida, for example, have this joke about, they called it the Durspan twitch. And that is delayed neurotoxicity from organophosphate exposure. But using something like trichloroform or Dilox, I consider that a very last resort. And you don't undertake this lightly. I mean, I only use Dilox if I'm up against the wall and I'm in trouble if I don't kill the insects right now. Otherwise, See, I, I kind of don't. I always thought that the uh, organophosphate twitch, I thought that was just because, you know, Jimmy the Lawn Boy got paid on Thursday and, you know, went and got himself an eight ball and came into Friday a little wired still, you know? No, put no. That revolver, no that put is... that revolver in the glove box and headed in to go slay those lawns, Matt. So, <laughs> yep, yep. All right. So, I, so that is why <laughs> I'm just, like, looking at this and, you know what? I'm even weirded out by him just grabbing this bag Barehanded, okay? I'm a little bit weirded out. Honestly. I'm glad you said that. So I let's let him talk here for a second. And it will kill the grubs that are in your soil within 24 hours. And of course, when you spread this, take all the proper precautions of PPE and such and make sure that you are uh, watering this product in. When it comes to watering this product in, usually there's a recommendation on how much water to put down. Knowing how much water your sprinkler system puts down is one of the most important things that you can do to help your lawn to it's survive through true. the summertime. Overwatering Good. Good. can help produce an environment where fungus will exist. And so if you water only when your lawn really needs it and you water deeply and you water per your soil composition, you'll be better off in the summer. I recently revamped my sprinkler system. Not only do we have auto right, taking care this. of Now let's go ahead and slide over here to when I think it's the next chapter when we start to apply. And let's take a look at this. Okay, right here is perfect. Pause. All right. Now, again, for those of you at home, this is supposed to be informative, constructive criticism. Gentlemen, I believe we've talked about it on this show or others before. When is the most dangerous time for an applicator to be around chemicals. It's mixing and loading. Oh, yeah, mixing yeah, mixing, and, nah, mixing, and mixing and loading. Mixing and loading. And, yeah, yeah. okay, first that of big all. That of dust, you snort that in, Matt. Like you're playing clear the mirror at the party. and uh, Yeah, because you know what? Of all places where I wouldn't cut open a bag of dialogs, I wouldn't cut open a bag of dialogs inside of my garage. I just wouldn't. I, even spreading dialogues. Look, how many times have I, and, and this is this is true fact. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm the only one that's ever experienced this. How many people have had? And, and again, you know, I'm I'm an old true green guy, right? And I wear it with pride. How many times have you run a route 
where you're doing nothing but spreading dialogues all day. And at the end of the day, you feel like you, you feel like you're literally dying at the end of the day. And you've spread, you know, 10, 12 bags of dialogues, push spreading it across lawns. Mm-hmm. And, and it just, it's dusty as hell. And you're wondering like, what am I doing to myself by doing this? Right. And then you talk to one of the old heads and you're like, Hey man, spread this dialogue. It's getting kind of weird out here. And he's like, wear a damn mask. You moron. What the hell's wrong with you? Are you stupid? Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. My bad. You dumb, you, you, you learn, dumb you ass things. Right. But yeah, because like I was telling you guys, my experience with dialogues is not as the granule, but this is back in the 1990s and early 2000s. The uh, YouTube just nixed Ray um, because he's he's probably dropping some truth bombs out there, and uh, and that's what ends up. All happening. right, let's play. It. Let's let him. Let's let him finish up here real quick. <laughs> So yeah. now that we've got our grub killer product down, we're going to go right, ahead pause. and basically do kind of a tune up. All right. So the last thing I'll say on this gentlemen is based on the life cycle of grubs. There's absolutely no reason for a dialogue treatment at this point in the year, right? Dialogue mm-hmm. treatment should only be for a rescue treatment. Go ahead and use your diamide insecticides, specifically celeprin. If you have access to that, you can get it in granular mm-hmm. form as GrubX at your local Ace Hardware, right? Get that picked up, do that. If you can, if you want to spray it, you can do that as well. The point of the matter being is that this is, uh, I'm not sure what the impetus for the video is. If it's thinking that you have a problem and feeling like you have to do something to react to it. I think he said earlier he's going to do a renovation here coming up and he doesn't want to have grubs. Those grubs right there won't even be there right mm-hmm. by now right it's been a month since this video has been posted those things are flying about now right so mm-hmm. uh know the life cycle of your pest choose the appropriate product wear the appropriate ppe and uh don't get uh cholinesterase poisoning and, and i i it will tips. say that i do think this is a a genuine case of of ignorance right where he just he simply doesn't know but what he what he yeah. has learned up to this point says you have grubs you make a treatment uh, 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 ty- type of response, right? And so, you know, here, hopefully, here's what you and Ray have to say and takes us as an opportunity to learn from it. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe have some some corrective content out there to, to you know, talk about what he's learned. So, interesting, interesting. Uh, well, we, t- <laughs> if you missed last week's Joe Knows Turf, go check it out. Um, or if you wanted <laughs> to hear it live, you could have heard it live while we recorded it on Sunday, and but you know what? We saved those for our patrons. Um, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't have a bunch of uh, clickable links down below. You know, we 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 try to uh, we we try to stick to the to the patron thing. Occasionally, we'll have a sponsor come on. You know, and uh, I will I will say that our list of, of sponsors that we have are uh, are pretty much all non paid sponsors. But you know what? They're great <laughs> people, and and that's and that's why we have them on. Uh, of course, that includes uh, Jay Bousquet Law, LTK Trucking, Santa, the Winter Solstice, uh, Field Source Ohio, Renovo, Hone Health, uh, the Lawn Supply Company, and uh, and the Grass Factor. But most importantly, why we're able to get this done is the patrons, and uh, and because and because of the patrons, that's why we're going to ha- get to have another uh, second annual uh, meetup this fall. And I just I absolutely cannot wait for it because I had so much fun last year. 
And Kenny Cooper, I am so sorry for ragging on your accent the entire time that I was on stage, but uh, uh, I, I really do love you. And I think you know that. So, you know, check us out, patreon.com forward slash burner return. If you want access to us, if you want access to us privately, uh, we have Zoom calls where we get on and we talk to everybody and all that fun stuff. So if there's more you'd like to learn about us, if there's there's more you'd like to learn from the other people in the community, because there's tons of people in there that know exactly what they're doing and can offer all kinds of advice as well, too. Uh, check it out, patreon.com forward slash burner return. Of course, you get access to the show after the show, there's the pre-shows, live recordings, all that fun stuff. Movie nights, we do, we do all kinds of stuff. So check it out. Um, now we're going to talk about this week's burns. So, oh, 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 oh. oh, oh boy, you know last week's burns were good, which is funny because you know. People well, they weren't. They, I mean, they were. They were. They were true burns. I mean, like you know, we talk about some stuff, and it's always like a stretch, like. Eh, is it a burn? Is it a headline? Like all three last week were certifiable, fucking awful, horrific, terrible shit, and we felt bad for having to say them. But you know, you have to have something to balance out the good against, right? Am I right? You do a hundred percent. And uh, and boy, we got another real, real spicy one right here. Uh, an off-duty Jeff- uh, Jefferson County Sheriff's deputy struck, killed while mowing yard. Suspect arrested. Department says. Golly, man, this is terrible. Uh, A sheriff's office deputy was struck and killed Saturday evening by a suspected drunk driver. Uh, The deputy, 71-year-old James Lee of Hampshire near Winnie, was mowing his lawn when an SUV believed to be running at an excessive speed suddenly drove off the road into a ditch and struck him. He's pronounced dead at the scene. Uh, The driver was a 38-year-old. I don't even want to say his name. Uh, he was later taken into custody and charged with intoxication, manslaughter, and unlawful carry of a weapon. So, r- rest in peace, good sir. I mean, you did not deserve to die doing what so many people enjoy doing, and that's and that's mowing lawn. I'm not one of them, but there's definitely a lot of people watching right now that are, and uh, and no one should have to go through that, especially no family should have to go through that, uh, especially no. at the hands of a drunk driver. Um, Boy, this next one here is a is a i think i think i broke my mouse i just slammed it on the on the table because because i'm angry let me see if i can get this to turn back on maybe i don't know what's thinking i may have to switch mice for a second you have a backup mouse what are the chances only in live can you uh, uh kill Kill your mouse by by banging it on the table. I'm gonna unplug it. Oh yeah, here we go. We're good. I'm good. I got it back. Plug it, plug it, plug it back, plug back in. in sometimes. Uh, this is from the New York Times. Uh, your lawn questions answered. <sighs> One way to add diversity to your yard is to mow the less essential parts of the lawn less often. It's a good point. Maintain paths and areas around seating, but let grass and other areas grow longer. Introduce native plantings there. I like that idea too. Who knew the lawn, a generic landscape element that we basically manage on autopilot, could be so productive? Uh, the recent In the Garden column, Yes, You Can Do Better Than the Great American Lawn, elicited nearly 1,200 comments and a few key themes resounded, prompting a follow-up. In that story, Daniel J. Wilder, an ecologist horticulturalist at Norcross Wildlife Federation and uh, Foundation in Massachusetts, suggested some strongly, some environmentally focused changes 
that we can make in the way we care for our lawns, as well as a few alternatives for those who are ready to eliminate some or all of their turf grass. Each possible change he suggested could help move the needle from monoculture of mowed non-native grasses to a landscape that gives back more to the ecosystem in terms of pollen, nectar, and seed, while using less water and fuel and fewer chemicals. But even as sinful as suggestions, including mowing less often, raise questions. What about homeowner association rules? A number of commenters asked. That forbid a less than manicured front lawn. And what about ticks? And then he goes on to say here that, uh, no, you can have, uh, uh, we'll say here, uh, Dr. Keesing is one of the authors recently pu- a published study, The Tick Project, which investigated whether reducing the number of ticks in an area necessarily meant reducing the number of tick encounters experienced by humors, and if it decreased cases of tick-borne diseases. The team she led with Richard Osfeld, a disease ecologist at Cary Institute of Ecosystem Studies in Millbrook, New York, Studies Yard in Dutchess County, New York, an area of one of the nation's highest rates of Lyme disease. The five-year project involved the participation of some 3,000 people and 1,000 pets in 24 neighborhoods. Consistent with observations from a 2006 study observing tick density along uh, forest field edges, the team found fewer ticks in grassy areas than in wooded ones. Ticks were about eight times more abundant in forests than in lawns across all uh, properties studied. Uh, But that's not the only relevant factor. When we're talking about your risk of exposure, we're talking about two things. At work are both the entomological risk, how many ticks are in their uh, habitat, and also how much time you're spending in that habitat. The high density of ticks in wooded areas won't affect you very much if you don't spend much time in the woods. But the ticks in your lawn could, despite the lower density, if you spend a lot of time there. To determine whether reducing the number of ticks reduces human risk, they, anyway, it, it goes into all this. They do fipronil treatments and all kinds of stuff. And, um, and it says the two-year study of the suburban yards uh, uh, tested whether mowing frequency influences the prevalence of tis, uh, t- uh, ticks. Lawns were mowed at one, two, or three-week intervals with grass heights reaching from just over two and a half inches to more than 10. There, even the tallest lawns, which were less frequently mowed, were not found to have ticks. So there we go. Uh, let your grass grow to 10 inches and you don't have to worry about ticks. And, uh, and that should be the only reason that you should let it grow to 10 inches, uh, to, uh, to buck the system and everything all the above. What this does not take into account, and this is, you know, one of the things we hear from, uh, uh, from, from you, uh, Demay, is that it's not always about, uh, necessarily just, uh, pest reduction. It could be just from a playability standpoint, right? If you want to have your kids run around in a backyard, not trip in a hole that's not seen or whatever the case may be, or have a, a, a playing surface where they can kick a soccer ball around, then great. That may be the whole reason for mowing your lawn. And again, this war on, on the lawn thing is it's strong. I want to sound, I want to sound as fair as possible. Yes, we do need to implement more native plants into our landscapes. Yes, there are definitely some areas of turf we're managing as turf that do not need to be managed as turf. Yes, it's good that we can highlight these things and make uh, general recommendations. However, this idea that lawns are inherently bad and serve no purpose and that you should get rid of them is, is a farce. So I'll leave it at that. I'll kind of step on both sides of the aisle here and try, try and play, play games. You're, you're <laughs> terrible at being diplomatic, by the way. I know. <laughs> Just, I'm still I'm still foobard from last episode's Joe Knows Turf. It's a week later and I'm still foobard over it. It hurts, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. I don't know. Well, uh, uh, no, I was all I was going to say was just that uh it's that it, it you know it, a lot of these things um that we see right as far as alternatives and everything like that like 
there's nobody up here that's going to stand and say that it doesn't work or it's not, you know, it's not right or anything like that. I don't think so. I, I just think that you look at what the function of some of these spaces are and, you know, you're not going to go out in your pollinator garden front lawn and play catch with your son or daughter, you know, or, and again, maybe you don't have a son or daughter. Maybe you don't ever aspire to play catch, whatever, then put one in, you know, nobody's going to, nobody's going to steamroll you and say that, Hey, just because, you know, you have this space that you want to be functional for, you know, a barbecue or whatever, like, and it doesn't necessarily have to be, um, irrigated. It doesn't necessarily have to be, uh, you know, quote unquote, uh, doused with chemicals or whatever. Like there's just, there's so much, uh, emotion. Yes. The, you know, the rule of the day, right? There's so much emotion and not enough, uh, reasoned discourse to say, okay, um, just because it's, and shit, this is again, another one of those like absolutes or, or axioms of where we're at right now, but just because it's not right for you doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong for everybody, right? Or conversely, Absolutely. right for everybody. And Absolutely. You know, what, what is it? Yeah. The live and let live, right? Yeah, live and let live. And, you know, corollary to this long conversation that I had earlier today is, you know, I essentially told this man the equivalent of, hello, sir. Why don't you go uh, dance around in the street, uh, buck ass naked? I might as well have told him that because you know what I told him to do? That was committing heresy. I don't know, man. I told I'm him. Just saying. I told him to stop picking up his grass clippings. Okay, and that Plain was simple. like me, to, yeah, because Novel he was concept. asking me, yeah, how to, how to make my turf grass a little more resilient and a little stronger, you know, nutrient-wise. I told him, well, stop picking up grass clippings. And you see, there's all of these little things that can be done that will make a lawn have a lower overall impact yeah there's all these things that can be done because i told him alternative is is okay sir continue to pick up your grass clippings but here's what you just signed up for this lawn will now need more fertilizer and with more fertilizer you also have increased risk of disease increased growth and maybe even increase susceptibility to insects because what I know about St. Augustine grass is that here's one more for you. Highly fertilized St. Augustine grass, for example, is more susceptible to insect pests. So you can do certain things, but then just be aware of what you signed up for. Uh, yeah, see, that's yeah, that, that, that really sums that up very well. No, we I was going to. I was going to say, uh -oh. for <laughs> a sus sustainability model here, right? That you know we could supplement some of the NP and K we've been applying with a little compost, like we see 
in one town in Massachusetts. Uh, nearly oh. a decade Whoa. ago. Um, oh yeah. Uh oh. Let me let me let me scroll up here so I I, I can read this. Uh, Sue and Tom Ryan moved into a custom built four bedroom house with the pool views of Mount uh, Wachuset. Did I am I saying that right? Mount Wachuset. And more than three acres to keep horses, raise chickens, and grow a well-tended garden. With hopes of living more sustainably and healthy, eating food they grew themselves, the couple cleared much of their land and spread loads of top-shelf loam from a company called Mass Natural, an organic composting business across the street in this rural town of Central Mass. But they started getting sick, and they learned of a potential reason why. The water they were drinking and cooking with contained massive amounts of uh, toxic chemicals known as PFAS, more than 50 times what state regulators consider safe to drink. My entire oh, way of life has been nice. destroyed. Everything I moved here for, said Sue Ryan, 63 years old and a chemist. They won't eat from their garden, swim in the pool, or drink their water, even though it flows through an expensive filtration system. I'm traumatized by this. I believe that the PFAS has compromised my immune system. Uh, the forever chemicals cause major problems. Um, and uh, it, it, anyway, it, this is a bad deal. So it turns out that uh, well, groundwater had been leaching. Uh, PFAS had, had been leaching through the groundwater uh, at this 240-acre composting facility and potentially from all the compost from the composting facility that had been applied to their property to maintain their gardens and all that fun stuff. It made its way into the groundwater. It's making its way into the water they're drinking. And now they're facing the consequences of it, of having built probably their retirement home. And, uh, and now that it's, it's just an absolute total disaster. Uh, Westminster has permitted mass natural to receive more than 90,000 tons of organic waste a year, including wastewater sludge with no requirement to test for PFAS. Uh, environmental advocates who have long promoted the benefits of composting said the contamination here highlights the need for testing requirements at such large scale operations. It would be most prudent given the widespread use of PFAS and various consumer products that all compost streams be tested with some regularity. Um, okay. And so I, the, the thing I want to highlight about this, and, and again, I'm not, it sounds like I'm shitting on compost. I'm not. But what you have to understand is that compost is fertilizer. And therefore, it probably should uh, adhere to the same rules that fertilizer do. Uh, just because it has the word organic in it does not mean that it automatically gets a bill of, of uh, a passing bill of health that everything done with it, everything done by it, and everything to produce it is all perfectly healthy and a great thing. And we need way more of it. To be just used everywhere. Everybody needs more compost. Everybody needs to apply it more in their gardens. Everybody needs to apply it more to their lawns. Well, turns out, maybe not. Maybe we don't. And maybe not until we're able to figure out uh, how to test this, figure out what the F is going on with the PFAS thing, figure out why, uh, what we're going to do about it when it's in sewer sludge at such high concentrations that we're at 50x what's considered a... Uh, 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 an acceptable level in in groundwater. That's a problem. And so, anyway, just highlighting that, gentlemen. What do y'all have to say about this? Uh, a lot of the same. Where uh, again, like if you'll notice a theme, all these ideas and principles of hey, you know, we can use compost instead of you know fertilizer. There are trade offs, right? There, uh, okay, and and. I would, you know, I would love to find out the answer because I genuinely don't know. Ray, if we took 50 pounds of compost 
you know, from this place in Massachusetts or somewhere here in the Midwest, and we tested that for PFOS, we took a 50-pound bag of urea, which one do you think is going to have less? Ray's dead. Ray, Ray is dead. dead. Yep. Oh, I didn't know Ray was dead. I'm going to go ahead and answer for him and say, probably the bag of urea, right? So mm-hmm. in this case, again, okay, hey, we're, we're not using a synthetic uh, man-made fertilizer, but we're going to spread this stuff that basically is almost the Wild West, the things that the uh, EPA makes you test for heavy metals, right? Make sure they're not putting lead and arsenic and stuff like that in. But, uh, Matt, to your knowledge, how much do they test for PFOS? And is there a legally allowable limit? The answer is no. Is there a legally allowable limit for uh, hormones and uh, pharmaceuticals, antibiotics, things like that? Uh, the, I uh, Ray, I mean, uh, Ray? Ray, Ray, are you there? Can we can we talk about climate change for a little bit? Sorry, I was trying to distract you from the real questions. It's make. okay. No, 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 no. It's okay. It, it's okay. Uh, you know, I think what we really should ask ourselves is, you hey, know, somebody, John who, Perry. Let's let's ask it. Let's uh, ask it, a gonna, neutral party gonna, here. John Perry, should we test compost or wastewater treatment facilities for uh, hormones and all the other variable? You know things that could that could run through that. I would advise anybody who's thinking of doing this not. Well, there you go, oh, he's, John. Uh, he's on the take. The compost lobby has a hot clearly take. gotten to him. That's a hot take, John. He's uh, and listen, I can understand how he feels that way, but I think he's being compelled. He's probably being blackmailed, John. If you're if you're safe, blink once. If you're not, <laughs> call me later. <laughs> All right. All right. I will Let's say go this. On the next one. Perry What's that? Perry is not a big fan of biosolids at all uh for those particular reasons. He and I have had very long conversations about it and uh and you know we're just now beginning to kind of open the door on this and it's going to get weird. Again another comment here from from Darcy in the in the chat is that uh, wastewater facilities in our cities have pumps and wells that we cannot treat. They tested high in PFOS next door is a firefighting training facility. Uh not in the news. People are freaking out that are unpacking this because the point is, is that once you detect it, what do you do? What is the reclamation uh, factor I, uh, to do this? You you incinerate it. Okay. You incinerate it to uh, 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 fluoride, to fluorine, hydrogen fluorine. Mm-hmm. Not a not a not a good thing, you know. So it's it's not like you could put it through a pyrolysis reactor and drive off volatiles and all that fun stuff. Which I know some people that are working to do that, like actively uh, to, to hit the temperatures to break those fluoride bonds is next to impossible. So I don't know. It's a bad thing, and not having a, a plan to no one has a plan on to figure out what to do with it. That you know this this shit is is going to get gnarly. Well, opinion. and I was going to say is like it, it it's a situation where uh it's it's becoming more ever present but I, what I mean by that is that you know more and more people are latching on and understanding that hey like there's a big problem here, right? And it is not just confined to one area, right? 
uh, obviously these folks, it's very localized where it's, it's affecting them in a very big way. But I think people are, you know, slowly starting to understand this. And so, yeah, the question is, is there anywhere that it's not like that it doesn't exist? And is anybody safe? How many times through human history, Matt, have we discovered new things that will kill us? Just about every day, right? I was going to say daily. <laughs> daily? I mean, yeah. So what the... Uh... Ray is being attacked by Coconut Shrimp Girl right now. and uh, I believe again, so. Oh, there he goes. There he goes. All right. How about this? We're going to we're going to move on to this week's returns. We can't even right. get everybody's done. I'm back. Uh, the GCS double Applause. moves. Yeah. Passage of Florida law recognizing golf course best management practices. Very good. Uh, let's see. The golf, uh, golf Course Superintendents Association of America is commending the signing of Florida HB 967 in law by Ron DeSantis, which recognizes Florida golf course best management practice cert- certification program. Uh, with Governor DeSantis' signature, the new law recognizes the significant role that the golf industry has in Florida and then acknowledges the long record of environmental stewardship that golf uh, that Florida golf superintendents have embraced. Uh, Florida BMPs are one of the earliest success stories of the GC, uh, GCSAA's uh, BMP initiative, which spearheaded the development of the golf course BMP guidelines in all 50 states. The Florida Golf Course BMP certification program was launched in 2012 and has been administered by the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences Surfgrass Science Program since 2020. This voluntary program, now memorialized in state statute, affords BMP certified golf course superintendents exemption from circle, certain local training and ordinances related to water and fertilizer use. Uh, however, the certification progress does not exempt superintendents from complying with the rules and requirements for golf courses located in an area with basic management action plan, a scientifically based program designed to fairly and equi- equitably allocate pollution loads to both non-point and point sources. In addition to University of Florida and uh, and UNRWA, other key players in the passing of the law includes members of Florida Golf Course Superintendents Association uh, and a bunch of other people, who, uh, including Florida State Representative Keith Trunow who originally introduced the bill. The passing of a bill 967 is a testament to the dedication of superintendents and other in the turf industry have to maintaining golf course through environmental best practices. Florida is one of the earliest adopters of the state golf course BMTs, so it is not surprising that industry leaders in the state were committed to seeing them recognized by law. We congratulate everyone in Florida for their hard work and success. So here we see uh, uh, BMPs uh, I, I making it its way actually into, uh, into, into, into law. And can you talk a little bit more about this? I'm I'm not super familiar. I I, I do understand uh, some of the BMPs that are put forth by Florida, but I, I don't really know a whole lot about uh, this particular law and, uh, and and what this means going forward. Yeah. So this is, is it. Just, is it effectively? This, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. It's it, it's effectively saying that hey, this is what we're going to recognize right uh, within the state as sort of their own plan, right? So. It's it's a very it's a huge um, I guess uh, acceptance right by by state government. A lot of times, some of these plans are ba- are made by industry right, and they're not necessarily accepted by government. But 
the folks in Florida and uh, at the national level at GCSA have worked like unrelentingly for the better part of the last decade. People at the University of Florida, to you, Brian Unruh here, um, professor at University of Florida, turf guy, very, very uh, sound individual when it comes to these BNPs and he's administered this program. So it has been a team effort to come together and do this. They were one of the first states to do it. And quite honestly, uh, 15, 20 years ago with the proliferation of golf courses in Florida, you know, through the 70s, 80s, and 90s, uh, golf in Florida, golf turf maintenance in Florida was getting absolutely shit on, like left and right. Uh, and, you know, th- they they basically said, hey, you know what? Uh, we can sit here and feel sorry for ourselves. We can go get better. And they absolutely uh, took it upon themselves to go out there and write this manual to instead of being you know instead of folks saying hey what do you do when you're out there what do you do in this situation or that situation and all that their answer now is in a book that everybody follows it just says hey this is how we handle this situation here you go go ahead and read it it's not you know this big massive explanation and it's you know 20 different things each time a politician or uh, somebody in the regulatory body asks a question of somebody it is known hey these are how we handle these situations here's the correct way to do it uh, from a sustainability and ecological standpoint. So it's awesome to see, uh, you know, the state legislature and uh, the executive branch recognize this in the state of Florida. No doubt about it that you'll start to see more of this stuff come forward because uh, there are a lot of states now. Basically, GCSA has a goal, I think, by the end of next year is to have all 50 states have their own BMPs, right? So they're uh, almost done with Ohio's, I think, right now. But uh, many other states have them already, and it's a really cool thing. So I threw the link up in the uh, in the YouTube comments here. Uh, also threw it up on the uh, the Dirty Deeds Discord there on the show thread. So go through and read it. Even if you're uh, a homeowner, I don't care who you are, and you read this, it's a really really good primer, if nothing else, on just like how much goes into this, in uh, how many situations you have to be you know thinking of or aware of every time you make a decision, and how those downstream effects might potentially uh, harm people, the environment, uh, animals, whatever the case might be. And so good stuff. Really, 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 really proud of these guys and what they're doing for the industry. Got to be excited about that. Right, Matt? That's exactly right. Uh, And to wrap up our returns here, uh, I'll be damned if uh, Pace Turf was not acquired by Dr. Micah Woods. Uh, the founders of Pace Turf, I had retirement. There was really one name that made sense is Dr. Larry Stow and Wendy. Uh, 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 how do you say her last name? Uh, oh, Wendy oh, uh, Glertner, I think it is. Glertner. Glertner. I don't, I, and every time I see that, I, I never know what to say. Um, and so uh, those of you who don't know, uh, Mike Woods is the founder of the Asian Turf Grass Center. And uh, they, uh, he and uh, Pace worked on the MLSN, of course, uh, other projects too, but they, they were really kind of the, the the spearheads on MLSN and uh, which is you know the, the kind of the, the latest uh, most um, environmentally friendly uh, uh, approach to fertility that we have in in, in modern turf grass management right so um, it, it to me 100% makes absolute sense that he came in and took over this role and uh, and we'll be able to continue on the incredible work that pace turf does. Uh, for those of you that are in the industry, I highly recommend getting a Pace Turf subscription. Um, I can't remember what it is, you know, 160 or 300 bucks a year or something like that. But you get access to so much freaking 
information that you couldn't consume it all in a single year. There is so much information there. And, uh, and it really shows um, the work and the evolution that our industry is un- undergoing. And, and it'll start to make sense why you were taught certain things and why you should not be doing those things that you were taught so many years ago, too. So um, a lot to, to unpack there uh, at PaceTurf. So congratulations, Michael Woods. And uh, I don't know, maybe one day we'll get him on a uh, burn return here. And uh, I don't know, maybe he can share. Uh, chop it up. That, that he's undergoing. Yeah, absolutely. Chop drink it up a, with him. Drink, drink a few cold beers or something. Yeah. Where, 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 where is he? Where is he based out of Thailand? I know he's, he's, uh, he's, he's in Asia, Bangkok, right? I believe. He's kind of all over the place, isn't he? Yeah. I believe he's in Bangkok. I don't know That's what the, uh, the main spirit of Bangkok is, but we should all imbibe on whatever that is. It'd be a good time. Yeah. Should be. Sign me up. All right, uh, we have no mailbag, so we are going to get out of here. Uh, Demay, thank you. I'm so I'm sorry, Ray. You kept getting dropped. That is, uh, that's of course how that happens. Of course, when uh, you have coconut Wi-Fi out there on the island. Um, we're going to go hang out with the patrons. Let the patrons decide this week's episode name. Uh, if you're interested in you know, participating in that, help us name episodes and being a co-producer in our show, uh, check us out, patreon.com forward slash return. All right, everybody. We'll see you on Thursday. Thursday.